Welcome to Melbourne Recital Centre's In Conversation series, a series that fosters creative conversations about music, the music industry and beyond, recorded live in the Salon and made possible by the Centre's Amplify program and APRA AMCOS. In this conversation, we sit down with acclaimed artists Zola Jesus and Anita Nedeljkovic. For those of you that don't know our host Anita, Anita is a radio broadcaster and music programmer for festivals and venues in Australia. She has hosted drive time show Test Pattern on Melbourne's Triple R FM, booked artists for the Corner Hotel, 170 Russell, Northcote Social Club, Newtown Social Club, worked on St Kilda Festival, Brisbane Festival, Falls Festival, Groove in the Moo, Park Life plus many more. We are pleased to welcome Anita, who will now start this creative conversation and introduce Zola Jesus. Zola Jesus is the project of Nika Rosa Danilova, who crafts dark music dominated by her operatic vocals and keyboards. The music of Zola Jesus has been described as cold like a mountain, brutal in its inhospitality, but life-affirming if you take the time to burrow in. With five full-length albums and three EPs under her belt, we have seen her combine pop, electronic, industrial and classical music. Tonight we get to, try, get to explore and try to understand the inner workings of this artist. So I'm very pleased to welcome Nika Rosa Danilova, aka Zola Jesus, to the Melbourne Recital Centre as part of Melbourne Music Week. Yeah. <laughs> A quick aside before we get started, a big mm-hmm. week. Cohen and Trump, do you need to get anything oh off your chest? Oh my gosh. Oh, too, yeah, a lot of losses for the world. Um, no, I'm just glad I'm here right now. <laughs> you can stay. We can work out the visa situation. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, before we get tucked in, there will be time for audience questions at the end. So friends, take note and you can ask your questions when we finish chatting. But uh, let's get started. Um, You grew up in rural Wisconsin in a town with a population of 9,000. I read that you refer to yourself as a delusional kid that never spent a lot of time around other kids your own age. Why was that? And how has that solo time in your life fed into your creative journey? Um, There just weren't a lot of people to choose from. Yeah, and I kind of lived in the middle of nowhere, and my closest friend was my brother. Um, So I spent a lot of time alone and just exploring things in my mind and running around and, yeah. Were you drawn to older people to to hang out with, or it was definitely just a a quiet phase for Nika? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I was social, but I didn't ever seek anything out, you know. So when I was young, I was just running around, like... The way kids should. yeah. Opera came into your life at an early age and you studied it for 10 years, but then you quit. Why and how did you find your way back? It's, it's a very nuanced situation with that. Um, I studied opera, yeah, from a very young age and um, I loved the ability to project like that, like the way opera singers do, and to command with your voice um, and to hone an instrument that you're born with. But um, I quickly learned that there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And um, it's really easy to get it wrong. (laughs) And so that prospect of failing at something that I loved so much and that I felt so passionately about, um, it just was crippling. And so it got to the point where I was just like, I, I just, it was ruining my connection to myself to feel like I could fail at something that I was born with, you know. So, um... I stopped 
but you obviously returned to it in the end. And what was yeah. the catalyst for being able to embrace opera once more? Yeah, well, the past couple of years I've been studying again. And um, this time I have the maturity and the ability to handle failure. <laughs> so um, against all... some I'm, good things about getting older. I guess, yeah. Um, and I really love it because... Um, in a way, it's actually a nice binary to what I do with Zola Jesus because with Zola Jesus, it's like there is no wrong or right way, which I love about it, and that's what was so liberating. But I like opera because I can go to it and it's therapeutic because I can be like, this is a technique. I can practice it. I can rehearse. And I like feeling that mastery of something, you know? So it's been really fun to return to it. Can you shatter a glass with your operatic high notes? No, I don't have as many high notes as I have just loud, piercing middle. <laughs> yeah. Would there be scope to hear a sample of a note, an operatic note now? Right. No, not right now. No. Maybe, maybe on Monday, though. Because of those glasses, obviously. <laughs> yeah, got to be um, careful. In terms of your song creation process, do you find it energising or a draining experience when you're writing your songs? Draining, 100%. And why is that and how do you go about, I guess, recovering at the end of that expunging of emotion? People, I don't know, making music is such a masochistic thing because it's like you make it because you need to make it, um, like for yourself to feel like you deserve to be here. <laughs> um, but it it always comes with like a fight or a war. It never feels fun because it feels like there's just such a, a weight on you to do the best you can and to make the truest thing, you know? And um, so it becomes like such an inner battle when I'm writing and that's currently what I'm going through writing the next record. So excuse me if I'm more self-deprecating than usual. Um, but the only way I usually can let go of that and to um, relax, I guess, is when people hear it and they enjoy it because then you feel like it's worth it. Like you went through all of that uh, trauma and self-abuse in a way to produce something that's helpful or can be a part of the world and exist on its own and be like this, this entity. So that's what you hope for. Have you spoken to other artists about the darkness in terms of how draining it is in terms of creating music and their strategies for getting through it? Yeah, everyone's different. Some people, they, they love to create. I love to create too, but it's always strained. Um, and some people, it's easy, and some people, it's difficult. And so I, I find solace in talking with other people about it. Mm -hmm. um, I guess some artists prefer to be on stage in front of an audience over being in the studio and recording. Where do you sit in terms of that divide? I used to prefer to be in the studio because that's something where I can have control, ultimate control. And I didn't like that when I was performing. It, it, there are so many variables that can go wrong that are out of my control. Um, but I like the experience of that tightrope walk. And I like now, it's, you feel so alive when you're on stage because it's like this moment where you're facing, to me it's like, of course, because I think about everything, with such hyperbole it's like I'm standing in front of people in general like you know it's almost um like the single people and you're de you're delivering something that you feel like is a concentration of who you are 
And, um, and that connection where it's like people, that approval, it's really weird. I have a really weird connection with the audience. And <laughs> Has that kind of become like an addiction, I guess, that sense of approval and connection from the people? Yeah, sometimes. Well, it's un- it can be unhealthy. So, <laughs> um, because then you constantly feel like your self worth is based on that. But um, I like it. Almost makes me feel more alive to face someone and go, "Look, this is what I'm feeling, or this is what I'm thinking. Is this also what you're thinking? You know." And that's why I try to say things that are universal. Or it's about we, because I'm like, this isn't just about me or what I did on Saturday, like April fifth, nineteen forty three, or whatever. You know, it's like what we are feeling as like a humanity, <laughs> which again sounds su- super grandiose, but that's that's where I get my inspiration is trying to understand like us, you know, what what are we and what do we want and to perform, you're like, you're having that connection with each other. Your love of playing live more, did that coincide with the richer instrumentation that came to be with Solar Jesus? Yeah, I think the more that... Um, hmm. It, it's funny because I didn't feel I didn't feel that interest in performing until I started performing with the string quartet um, because it's so raw and organic. And um, before I felt like I was just filling in a blank, like you're just jumping on this train that's already moving, and you're just trying to deliver people a song that they've already heard. You know, it's just kind of like. One and two. But when you're doing it with a string quartet or with like acoustic instruments, it's a breathing mechanism. And that was more rewarding to feel like you're, you're, you know, you know, am I going on? Yeah, no, no. I'm actually kind of curious, like when you were younger and going to live shows, who were the artists that you enjoyed seeing and what did they do that made you feel excited about your own live journey? Um... When I was younger, I loved punk. I didn't see many punk shows living in rural Wisconsin, but <laughs> um, I loved the energy of that and that it felt like it was live or die, you know, that that energy of punk and that feeling of um, just total liberation and total nihilism happening on stage in front of you, and you were in that together, that, that, that unity was happening and so that was what I was really into. You kind of already touched on this but you reworked your songs in an orchestral setting on the release versions with a string quartet led by J.G. Thurwell. Why did you choose him and what was that experience like? Through a mutual friend I I, um, contacted my friend who was an engineer in New York and I said do you know string arranger and he said J.G. Thurwell and I'm like (laughs) what? No. He doesn't want to work with me. To me, JG is like my Bruce Springsteen. You know, it's like I grew up listening to Fetus and like Lydia Lunch and all that no wave stuff. And so to me, to to work with JG was just totally surreal. So I didn't believe it was going to happen. But he was down and and uh, he he's just the, the sweetest guy in the history of the world. What was that first meeting like? Because obviously you were a massive fan. Yeah. It was... It was weird. Like, I went to his house once and um, his apartment in Brooklyn. Did you write down some notes about things you wanted to talk about to be super cool? No, I was trying not to talk about things because I walked into his house and um, if JG's ever going to watch this, I'll be embarrassed. But (laughs) he had this giant, like, X, like a giant, like, furniture X, like, the size of his entire wall. And then it had, like, 
straps, you know, that you strap into, like an S&M thing. <laughs> and I didn't like... Were you took, like, oh, yes. I was like, what's going on? Like, is this got to be a story behind that? Or is that just what he's into? So I was like, hey, like, JJ, what's with that thing? And he's like, oh, that's like from a performance art project that Lydia Lunch did, you know, back in the 80s. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> Pinching just, yourself. Yeah. Because, yeah, like I said, that, those are my... Those are my icons. So how has that particular experience informed your work with Louise Woodward and Melbourne Music Week with the performance happening on Monday night? Um, I basically just, first of all, when I got this opportunity, I was so, so excited because this is what I really want to be doing. And so the fact that, you know, I have an opportunity to do this with new, newer material, I was really happy. Um, and then with Louise, she, I just gave her carte blanche because I, we talked a little bit about, you know, what I like, what kind of the kind of chamber music that I like, and she was totally on board, and so I, I trusted her, and it, they turned out really well. And I like, lately I've been really into the idea of collaboration and um, because I think the best art happens with friction. Um, so I liked the idea of working with her and, and letting things take a different shape. You know. Is there a way that you try and facilitate or feed the friction? Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes I just try to give people as little lead. Act like a bratty child in the corner? Yeah, no, 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 not like that, no. <laughs> um, no, but I'm still not really used to collaborating like on my own stuff. So that's, I've been trying to do that with the next album and it's actually working out really well. Who are you collaborating with on the next album? Seeing you're bringing it up. Well, that that stuff is not, it's still not secret. finalized. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. And this will be streaming online. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm really. Uh, I watched some of your Guggenheim performance, which also happened with JG, mm-hmm. and um, I really like the idea of you know, music in unconventional spaces, and it's the architecture there is absolutely amazing. What was it like sharing your music in that forum? It was very special. Um, and that's, yeah, very special. Where do I start? Well, environment is very important to me, and so uh, performing just like in nightclubs can become stifling because you have nothing to feed off of. And also everyone else has done it. So so passive. I roll. (laughs) Yeah, venues. Um, But I liked... I love the idea of performing in these spaces that have their own character and personality that become a part of the music. So um, to have that opportunity to perform in a Frank, I think it's Frank Lloyd Wright, yeah, space was just totally, um, it was it was better than you could have imagined, at least for me. Maybe Elon Musk will give you a call and ask to come to Mars and perform what? there next. Would you be down? Yeah, <laughs> I, I would. I don't know how that would work, but I would, I would be down. <laughs> Um, you've worked with many impressive artists and uh, I guess I wanted to find out how did the M83 and David Lynch crossing of paths happen and uh, yeah, what was it like to work with those two? Uh, M83 was a real, like a kismet situation where we both contacted each other at the same time and um, we're like... Weird. Yeah. <laughs> there must be something out there. Um, and yeah, he, he wanted me to sing on his album and... I was so happy to do it. So he still owes me for something. We're going to do a trade. Nice. But then he got really busy. Hmm. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. No, he's great. Um, and then with David, 
we have a connection through Sacred Bones, which is my label and also David's label. And um, I worked with Dean Hurley, who is David's music director. And so we just have, you know, myself and the label have a, a deep connection, not only to his work, but contemporary, you know, connection to him. Yeah. If you had to describe M83 and David Lynch in a word or a sentence, just to give us a snapshot, what would you say? I can't do it together. They're two very no, different right, people. Of course. <laughs> um, Anthony is very French, I would say. He's very French. Yeah, so beret and stripes. Yeah, he's got in the baguette. <laughs> no, he's very French, but he's very, um, very passionate, and, and he himself is very much a fan, you know. Um, and then David is, oh, man... Oh, I don't even know. I mean, he's exactly what you think he would be. I actually think that's the perfect answer. Okay, good. <laughs> you were quoted in Spin magazine as saying, I'd inherently feel better about myself as a human being if I was removed from humanity. There's a sense of freedom in living out in the uninhabited world. And I feel like this quote nicely brings us to Tiger, where you did just that and moved to the woods of Vashon Island. Can you paint us a picture of what it was like in that space just so we can transport ourselves also? It was a house that um, had windows that were directly looking into the Puget Sound. And I would wake up and I would see like orca whales breaching, like no joke. <laughs> it was like a postcard. And there was like a bald eagle family and I, I named them Bosworth and Cheryl. There was two. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just really bucolic and really wonderful and peaceful. And it was, um, I had just moved from LA and I moved back there and it was a long process of me reconnecting with that part of myself, but, um, it was, yeah, it was a dream. In making this album, you've spoken of creating music outside the throat. What does that mean? Did I say that? <laughs> Wait, yeah. when did I say it? What did I say? You make you were creating music outside the throat, but maybe I, oh okay yeah <laughs> yeah I was okay I don't you remember saying that but if I were to reinterpret that because I don't remember saying that <laughs> I would I would say that I was maybe not trying to like sing like super like I was swallowing my voice like very dark mm -hmm. you know which I do sing that way but um, trying to be just very clear with what I was saying and how I was saying it. Um, how did making this album um, in the natural world affect the recording and the resultant album of Tiger? Natural sounding, you said? Sorry, how did immersing yourself in oh. the natural environment impact the Tiger release? Sonically, I don't think it did. I think that Tiger was an attempt for me to make an album that was a very expansive, but within the confines of a template, if you will. Um, so it didn't feel as primal as you, one would expect, but it did allow me to, to, to rediscover a liberation that before living in Los Angeles and having been overwhelmed with the lifestyle of that, I didn't feel in touch with myself in the same way I did when I was growing up in Wisconsin. And so 
I had to move to Vashon to reconnect and think about what's the purest statement that I can give that's devoid of uh, any sense of self-awareness that just felt pure. When I was young, when I was a really young, I loved pop, like I still love pop music. But when I was really young, that's all I knew other than classical. So all I knew was, you know, maybe one day I'll play like, the VMAs, or maybe one day I'll play Madison Square Garden, because I, I didn't know before Lydia Lunch or JG, I didn't know about anything. So I was trying to do an ode to those dreams that I had when I was a young girl. And, um, and I was trying to reconnect with that part of myself that was just like very innocent and ambitious and dreaming big and um, just loving like the idea that you can conquer the world in your own little way, you know? And so maybe that came across like a little, I don't know. I think it came across a little intense for people, but I was really trying to just have that little girl in me be like, I can do it. Like I can do it. I'm just like this nobody from the middle of Wisconsin, but I can do this and I can maybe change the world in a big, bigger way than I ever thought I would be able to. Um, And I don't remember what the start of the question was, but just immersing yourself in the natural environment. But does that make you now think about with each album you need to be conscious of the geography and where you are? Um, Man, I really got off track there. (laughs) Um, Actually, geography is very important to me and like I said, environment is. So um, it is a factor. Yeah, and this last record I've been writing in in Wisconsin, so that's been imprinting itself in its own way. Mm -hmm. The word tiger, what does it mean? And it's kind of connected, I guess, to your cultural heritage. Yeah. Uh, where I, first of all, where I grew up in Wisconsin is, um, it's not taiga, but it's like where the taiga starts. So there's like little taiga bits. Um, and then my family is from Russia and, um, you know, just going, growing up and I just felt like taiga was this expansiveness. It is the part of the world that people don't really live in because it's inhospitable. And I liked that feeling of creating this world where there, there is nobody. Yeah. Mm. And um, Tiger was uh, set to be your version of a pop album, as you've kind of already touched on. And uh, you had mentioned studying Rihanna in, a, in particular. And I think you've even done a cover of Diamonds at mm-hmm. some point. Why Rihanna and what did you learn from her tricks and tools of the trade? Well, she just actually out of... this is So uh, I covered Diamonds because I saw on Twitter that like Eric Wareheim or something said that that sounded like a Zola Jesus song. And people were contacting me like, this, what, did you write, like, is this you on the radio? And then I'm like, no, and it doesn't sound anything like me, but I thought to cover it as a joke. Yeah, right. Um, but I also love Rihanna. I love Umbrella. I love Diamonds. Like, I love um, Stay. Uh, she has some great songs. <clears throat> but I didn't necessarily study her. I don't know why I said that. I just... It was dramatic. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like this when you're just talking and you're just kind of... Yeah. And you, you just get lost in your own world. You forget what you're saying. Um, is it true that you once had a fear of pop songs, though? And in terms of connecting that back to the art that you would be doing? Um, I want to say yes, but I think my music has always been poppy, like since the first song I wrote. Mm-hmm. 
Um, in your press release, you mentioned in some ways Tiger felt like a debut album, even though it's obviously not. There's quite a few under your belt. Why was that the case? It was the first album where I didn't let any stone go unturned. You know, I was like, everything will be done. This will be a perfect album. It will be you, it will be unimpeachable. You can't say that this is bad because I did everything right, you know? <laughs> I thought, you know? Adam, just 27, you've released multiple albums and EPs offering something new with each listen. Do you take the audience much into consideration when recording or is it a matter of just letting the music be what it needs to be? Yeah, I just kind of let it... Because you don't know what really what they want. And, you know, it's... People... We'll find it. I don't know. I don't... <laughs> um, label Sacred Bones has obviously, as you said, released your music. How has independently releasing your music um, been an advantage and how was that different to the Mute experience? Well, Mute was independent, so... Or is independent, so... Um, it's, it was very similar. There was no... No one has ever meddled. Mm -hmm. I guess there's a sense with Mute they might have deeper pockets. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I don't, the results were the same at the end of the day, so um, there wasn't much difference. Um, your work has a strong visual component, I guess from the way you dress to the video aesthetic. I guess from the world of fashion and visual art, who do you feel best speaks the language of Zola Jesus? In terms of fashion and visual art, I guess who do you connect with and like what they do in terms of that. Mm. Um, Richard Serra, um, Pierre Soulage. Um, um, I like sculpture art, Tara Donovan, um, uh, Rick Owens, of course. And there's a, there's a lot of people making clothes and jewelry and things that I feel like are trying to create that universe. Like, a, an alternate universe that's a little bit more raw and crude and um, a little bit more monochromatic, a monochromatic world. <laughs> and I like, I, I like that kind of stuff. I uh, saw an interview where you talked about clothing and jewellery as a form of armour for yourself. Do you still feel that way? Or as you're kind of maturing and growing, you are happy and ready to strip away those elements? It's not so much that, it's just like, it's not like armor to hide myself, it's armor to empower myself. And I'm not, I'm also empowered without it, but it feels like when I have like this, like these rings, because I'm also very short and tiny and, and, and easily infantilized. So <laughs> I try even harder to uh, counteract that. I really am a huge fan of your videos that accompany your song. Do you have a favorite video actually um i don't know i think hunger because it's just so minimalist it's just me just wiggling around in a warehouse do you get really involved in the video making side of things mm -hmm. and uh i guess who do you want to work with moving forward in terms of your next video project Jacqueline Castell, who I've worked with almost the whole time. Yeah, she's the best. Staying loyal. I yes. like it. Yes. You're also, uh, you studied philosophy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm really curious, what, what aspect of philosophy was your favourite? And has, I, I imagine when you study philosophy, it very much lives and breathes in your music also. Mm 
Um, I don't so much like the logic part of philosophy, but I like the uh, uh, existential aspect where um, I use it as a guidebook to help me understand myself and existence and why we're here and how, why do you do things almost like sociologically or psychologically as well, you know, um, and those questions. So it's like, it's as close to religion as I'll ever get. Um, I'd like to kind of circle back to this next album of yours. What are some of the ideas or themes that you're wanting to explore and, and what's the message that you want to get out next? For the next album? Um, lately, well, um, kind of like, I don't want to bring that up, but there's this thing called like Saturn Returns where Saturn, you know, takes like Saturn like 20, 30 years before it returns since you were born. And I don't know if that's real or not, but I've been experiencing that feeling of kind of coming full circle and um, realizing a lot of things in realities about the world that when you're younger, it's that thing when you get to like 27, 28, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It's not that hard. <laughs> Keep on keeping on. Yeah. What have been some of the most memorable moments as part of the Zola Jesus spaceship ride? Um, I think just the things like meeting David Lynch and and um, meeting people that and working with people that I admire and and you know, but also mostly just writing, trying to write that song that I feel like reflects the statement that I want to give to the world, which I feel like that's something that I'm still trying. But every time I get closer, it just feels like a new milestone. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, we all as human beings hopefully keep growing and evolving. When you're singing music from your earlier days, how do you stay connected and, and still believe in the sentiments of the younger Zola Jesus? It's all still there, you know. Um, but... Lately, I've been more into it. I find it charming. I used to really not enjoy it because it was embarrassing to, to look at the flaws of my earlier work, but now I find it charming. And I wrote those songs for a reason, and I still love them mm -hmm. as much as I'll ever love it, any song, which mm -hmm. is not that much. But <laughs> What would the 15-year-old um, Nika think of the 27-year-old Nika? <sighs> She's like, of course, you had to take the hard road. You know, why can't you just do things easy? Why can't you just be, why, do, why does everything have to be so complicated emotionally? Mm -hmm. But hopefully she'd also be quite impressed by the journey. She's never impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Five albums in, what words of wisdom do you have to impart to other emerging artists that might be in the room or listening? Work really hard. If you think you're working hard enough, you're not working hard enough. Like that is all there is to this job or this life, this lifestyle is just working and loving it mm -hmm. and loving the work. Mm -hmm. um, do you ever think about moving into other art forms? Are there other mad skills of Zola Jesus? Um, well, I'm an awful visual artist, so hopefully not that, but I like the, I, I really am uh, passionate about writing an opera or um, something a more like a multi, uh, sensory piece, you know, something a little more holistic. Well, I guess it's really interesting in the current music landscape, 
it's really hard for an artist to continue to stay relevant and keep fans. Do you think about that much? And and is the idea of doing an opera or something like that your version of trying to find new avenues and ways to connect to fans? It does get really hard. And I know I see the trajectory of the musicians I love and I see that there's like a middle part of their career that I never really paid attention to or I dropped off and I know that will happen with my fans and I know that that's just a part of it but I think the only thing you can do and the thing that I've been reminding myself and really preaching um, is to stay true to yourself which sounds like sounds like garbage but it's true it's like just do the thing that you were so passionate about at that moment and people will respond to that. They won't respond to desperation. They respond to just that that pure thread connecting you to the world. So let's do that. I guess as we're almost rounding off the year 2016, how do you look back at your year as Zola Jesus? Um, this was actually one of the more difficult years of my life. So... Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it was really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of growing, a lot of loss, a lot of um, coming to terms with things. So I'm really excited for this year to end. Mm-hmm. I think this is, I've talked to a lot of people about this, and I think 2016 was a year of en- endings and deaths for people. Um, so 2017, it's going to be. So so shall we set your intention for 2017? (laughs) What's the vibe that we want? Uh, um, Just just not having to endure that sense of mm, loss. I don't know. Just good things. Keep I don't simple. know. I just Keep wanted it to be good. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. a smile on everyone's face. Yeah. What what headspace do you want everyone to leave um, with after the show on Monday night? What's the, the feeling that you want to leave everyone with? Um, it's something that I don't know if you can explain, but it's the feeling that I feel when I go to a particular concert that... It's more than just people playing music for you. It's like um, a bath in a way. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's, I don't know. It's it just feels like you're having this really deep connection to people, to to being alive, and to experiencing the highs and lows of that, and to reconcile yourself sorry that sounds really (laughs) but you know it's like those those concerts you go to and you walk away and you're just like you know like that's how I felt when I've seen like I saw swans or something you know or even going to like um I saw like um Strauss like symphony you know and you just come away from it and you just feel like you thought you understood the world but it just opens up this whole new portal and I don't know if I'll ever be able to communicate that to an audience but that is my end goal (laughs) set those standards high (laughs) told you she's never impressed I'd like to um I guess see what the our friends in the audience want to ask of Zola Jesus we might um just ask that you wait for the microphone to come your way but does anyone want to start things um you're an artist who doesn't 
I assume in most places, and I definitely in Australia get much radio airplay. And most people with musical careers, that sort of seems to be the number one thing that they strive for, is to get a bit of exposure on radio. Given the style of what you do, though, that's, that's unlikely in most cases. How do you work and build a career given that limitation? Just not being on the radio? Um, you know, I think radio is... It's just tough because I was also... I had a radio station when I was in college and I loved it and I love radio. But I don't know... I don't know that that is the key anymore. You know, I know a lot of people that have found a lot of success in not having that radio airplay. Um, I think these days you have to focus on just fostering a corner and being true to that corner of your world and then, you know, people finding loyalty to that. I think it's more important to build a loyal group of people that are going to want to take the ride with you than maybe getting a, a big single. I don't think that that's really long-lasting. Who do you think does that particularly well? The former? The le- big single? Or oh, a just corner? doing their corner really well. Um, basically people that you would call career artists, you know. I mean, Leonard Cohen was one of them who just passed, you know. I think that he just kept going and kept staying true to himself and had his corner, you know. And there are still, there are acts, contemporary acts that, do the same thing. Even when you think about someone that's huge, like Lana Del Rey, she doesn't really get much airplay except for that summertime sadness remix, you know? But she has a very, very strong fan base because she has a she has a very unique presence, you know? And I think that it's important to just focus on that, doing something that's, that's solely you. Thank you for your question. Uh, next person. Um, hi. Uh, I've read quite a few times that you're very inspired by David Cronenberg and your work, and I was wondering if any specific songs are inspired by his films. Like, I was thinking maybe um, the song Skin, possibly. When I listen to it, I often think of him. Thank you, and that is a great question, because he is my favourite director. Um, there are a lot of songs that I also had a song on one of my old, old records. It was called Flesh, and that was also... But I think generally... Um, Song-wise, I'm not sure, but he's pervasive in everything that I do because I love him so much. So, yeah, especially anything that has to do with the body, I feel like, because he tackles that in such a brilliant way. What is it about the body that has you obsessed? It's disgusting. (laughs) Don't you think? Yes. Um, <laughs> we won't go into specifics. <laughs> I mean, just look at it. Yeah. Uh, anyone else? We've got Zola Jesus in town for the weekend. Let's make the most of it. Um, I was just wondering if your visuals and audios come hand in hand. Like, does the audio come first and then you imagine, like, how something will look or vice versa? I actually think um, the songs that I'm most attached to are the ones that were written with a world in mind. So I'm almost writing like a soundtrack to this image in my head or I'm thinking of a movie or I'm thinking of this alternate universe um, because it feels so much more like this living, breathing thing, you know, for lack of a better word. 
Um, so usually I, I really prefer to have a, a really strong visual onset. Otherwise, it's, it feels like it doesn't really exist. Because I think music needs space. You know, Music and sound is just the vibrations of a space. So without the space, there is really no sound. So you need to have an image of what, where it's playing, you know, and everything like that. Speaking of space, we were having a chat before we came out and uh, you've returned to Wisconsin and you're building a home. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'd love to know is, you know, how, what do you want to do with that space for it to feed and continue to help grow your creativity? I'm guessing it's not just going to be a normal roof with windows kind of a situation. Oh, yeah, it was really important that it felt very modular and very very much like almost um, very sterile, and but still raw. Will it be on Airbnb words. when you're touring? Pardon? Will it be on Airbnb when you're touring? Yeah, I'll put it on Airbnb, yeah. Um, so modular, sterile? Yeah. Just kind of like a cube. You know, in a cube, it can't, it doesn't really say anything. So it's like whatever happens within it, it can change and you know, but it's just this, it's just structure. Mm. And what makes you feel ready at this time in your life to go back to your home after wanting to run away and explore the world and be Zola Jesus? Um, it occurred to me that I'm, no matter where I go, I will never be happy. So <laughs> I just am resigned to, to, well, where is my family and where can I have a space that's wholly my own and I have a lot of land and then I can travel and run away whenever I want and I can always come back to that because I have tried moving and I could keep moving every two years and I would continue to do that but it's just not really, mm. there's no point. Also good to make mum and dad happy. Yeah, <laughs> Lord knows. Another hand in the air, anyone have something to ask of Zola Jesus? Each one of your albums seems to have a consistent sound and theme to it. Do you see them all as being concept albums? And, you know, as it's a bit of a cliched term, but is that how you plan them when you write them? Yeah, it is, actually. I feel like that's what an album is, you know? It's like an entity. It's like a movie, you know? So it needs to have... Uh, it need, like I keep saying world, universe, but it needs to have that to, to exist within... Um, and it, it, they're all disparate songs, but when they put together, they tell a story either sonically or thematically or conceptually. So certainly, yeah, I'm working on the record now, I have like all these really strong images in my head and all the songs on the record need to be a part of those images and vice versa for it to feel like it, it's going to work. I think we had someone down the front here. Hi there. You mentioned uh, your interest in Rihanna earlier on, and yeah. you're obviously your music's very personal. Have you thought of interpreting other people's songs a bit more? I mean, the type of music you're involved in. I'm thinking, you know, Nick Cave, Bowie, Jacques Brel, any of those type of artists. Is that something you would think of? Yeah, I've thought about that. I'm just really. Uh, I don't want to. Um, hmm. You know, I don't want to do them a disservice, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so I would love to interpret things, and especially as I've been getting into opera, I've been, you know, singing arias a lot and opening myself up to the idea of interpretation. Um, but in the past, I was just, I felt like I wasn't good enough to tackle someone like Nick Cave, who, as we all know, we're in Australia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, does, is his statue up in his hometown yet? I don't... 
Because I was thinking about making a pilgrimage. Is it? Does anyone know? No, it's not yet. Okay. Oh, it's so going to be so worth it. Um, down to the left. Would you be happy to tell us about Zola and Jesus and how they came to be? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it was pretty arbitrary. I had stumbled across an Emile Zola book, and I liked it. And um, for some reason, I just threw Jesus on there. <laughs> for lack of a better idea. In <laughs> uh, in retrospect, I can I can internalize it. I can say Zola is very much a realist, and Jesus is very spiritual, and it makes perfect sense because... You know, it's it's very well-rounded in that way. But it, it truly was something that felt to me just, it just came out one day when I was 14 and we're still there. <laughs> what do you think when other artists do the uh, the old name change? We've just had Shet Faker, the Australian performer, revert to Nick Murphy. What are your thoughts on that kind of... I think about it all the time. <laughs> and? <laughs> it just seems like... Um, seems like a rebranding strategy, and I feel like I don't want to give that impression. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I, I wonder if, if... I don't know. But Do you get the sense, though, when you are Zola Jesus, there is an expectation of what you will sound like and what you'll do? And are they... Is it holding you back in a way that if there was another Monica, there could be the florally light? <laughs> well, that won't happen, but... <laughs> um, I guess if anything, they're the one thing that I feel like I feel like I'm being held back doing is doing things that are more instrumental, less structural, more abstract. But those are things that I think I'm just imposing those limitations on myself because mm-hmm. of my body of work. Mm. It's all very beat-oriented, song-oriented, very structured. So um, I would like to feel a liberation in exploring those types of composition, like compositions at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, if I do that, I don't know if it will be under Zola Jesus or under my own name or anything else, Mm. but um, it's something that I haven't decided yet. We'll have to keep an eye on the internet. (laughs) Anyone else? You mentioned the importance of space earlier and you're in one of Melbourne's great sound spaces. Um, How are you interacting with this space and how are you finding it? How will I interact with it? Well, I'm kind of fighting the system here. Within this, within this building, I really wanted to perform totally unplugged um, because microphones are uh, dishonest. But um, this space, and this is when I, when I saw where I was performing for this show, I was totally gobsmacked and very excited because um, it is one of those spaces that I feel like accurately reflects the atmosphere of the music and... Um, and so I feel, yeah, very, very blessed to be performing here. And within Melbourne, which has actually really great architecture, even the, like, arenas are cool. There's, like, a cricket arena, right? <laughs> you guys know that? You've been it's, busy in your couple of days here. Yeah, I did a little arena tour. I'm just wanting to ask you that if you were studying opera, it's pretty serious, and particularly as a young person, that's a lot of hard work. And so then, when you talk about coming to the realisation that that's not going to be your life, how did you then make a transition and did you have a sense of what it was that you wanted to transition to when you started to say, it's not going to be opera? I stopped singing for a couple of years and I decided I was going to 
maybe start a hotel or something. <laughs> Lucky you didn't. I know. <laughs> Bad industry. I know. What, what was I thinking? But then um, music was all I ever knew and all I ever loved. So I just organically was drawn back to it. But in a way where I was able to, I almost was going out of my way to sing incorrectly and to lean into the flaws. And that way I was okay with doing something singing because it was so anti-operatic in a way. Um, and that, it just, it found me really naturally because I felt like I couldn't really let go of it for very long because it was so deeply a part of who I am. Do you ever sing opera in the shower like that Woody Allen film? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I sing opera everywhere. It's really, probably really annoying. Um, so I've been watching a lot of your film clips online recently and I see there's a real sense of artistic integrity in terms of the film clips. I wondered how much is your visual idea and do you see the video as something that should complement your music and how that interacts? And also, within the digital age, how, how important do you think having video clips is or how does it work for you? Um, yeah, part one, I, um, I'm very involved, very involved. Uh, and there, the, I've never had a music video that I, I wasn't a part of producing or, or establishing the theme of. Um, it's very much, because it's, because the sound is born from an image already, very, mo most likely, it's, I already know what it, it's got to communicate visually. Um, and then part two, yeah, um, I, I forgot there was, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's really important because the way people consume music is so, um, it's very multimedia based, you know, even if you go to, you know, you go to YouTube to listen to a song, there's already a space there to see something while you're listening to it. And, um, and I think also these days, music is so much more about like a journey that when I, when I listen to music, like when it comes to Beyonce's visual album or something, you know, it's so much more about having this journey that you go on and, um, and it's nice to have something that complements that in every sort of uh, form, you know? It smells a way, it sounds a way, it, you know, it looks a certain way. I'm sure we're only around the corner from the uh, VR version of a Zola Jesus I, release. Right. <laughs> How do you know when you're ready to move on from an album? You've, you've recorded it, it's out in the world, you've done the tour, but when are you, what are the triggers for you to feel like, okay, we're done? When it gets to sort of feel like it's um, just, um, I can go on stage and I can perform and not even think about it, you know? Right. Is that a good or a bad thing? It's a bad thing. It's usually a good thing for me because I have such bad stage fright, but it's getting to the point where that's when I know when it's a little, it's a little done, you know? When you look at the body of your work, favourite song? I know it's like a parent that you probably can't have a favourite child, but I think you can. So, yeah, I think so too. Actually, it's one that I'm performing on Monday that hasn't been released yet. Exciting. Yeah, it's a new song. It's your favourite? It's my the favourite, the, yeah, yeah. And why? It's really personal, really personal to me. And I wrote it during a very personal moment. And, um, and I just feel like I wrote it in the time it took for it song it's wrote in five minutes you know and um and it just is so honest and pure and so 
deeply, it's like a grieving song. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I'm just, I don't know. It just feels right. Is that a rare thing for a song to come out so quickly for you? Depends. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, it gets harder because I'm so. My the voice in my head is is getting louder to say no. That sucks. That sucks. It, earlier on, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I haven't written anything, so you know, I was a little bit more free. But now I just, my, the little judge in me is really loud. So when it comes out, I trust it. Mm-hmm. When it comes out like that, I, I trust it more. Yeah. When it's easy, it's right. Isn't yes. that what they say? Yeah. Um, What are your strategies for when you have a creative blockage moment? Like, how do you get over that hump? I'm sure a lot of people who might be artists themselves would want to take some notes. Hmm. I don't know, because I get those a lot. I've always gotten them. Um, Lately, I've been really into just getting, renting a cabin in the middle of the woods. Just casually. Just casually. I'll just go to a cabin for a couple days and... um, I like that when I get writer's block, it's because I have, like, that voice is really loud. So then when I go to the cabin, I'm just, like, I have to go through this stripping process where I'm just letting myself get weird and get bored and get, you know, really in tune. Because when you're all by yourself, you become, that's when you are truly who you are. I think Schopenhauer said something along those lines. A man is not himself until he is alone or something. And um, I, I, I feel that. So you have to just be alone for a long period of time. And are you doing things like interpretive dance, running, yeah, screaming? Ribbon dancing. <laughs> maybe you could just act it out for us. Yeah, now. maybe I'll do a little demo. Uh, anyone else with a question? Um, just wanted to ask about the economics of being a musician these days. Like, have you noticed streaming cutting into album sales or is that something you even think about at all? Oh, I think about it. <laughs> um, it's hard. It's very hard. It's, and it's, um, it gets harder every year. People want you to just, you really only get money if your like, song is in a bank ad or a car commercial or in a movie. And so that's really where the money is. Um, you don't get any money from selling records. So it's just, it's almost like a promotional thing for you to, for, to, to give to advertising companies. Yes. Like here, they, you, someone made this record so you can use one of these songs in your ads. It's, I'm very cynical about the music industry right now. Sorry. What do you think it, helpful. What, what do you think it needs to do to get back on track and reward the artist in the right way? There needs to be worth put on music, and I don't know if there is right now. Um, and that is hard because there's very little worth in anything right now, I think. So, um, you know, f- I feel like arts are at the bottom of the barrel. It's, and arts are truly created out of free time, you know? It's like when people were done working for the day, they would go and entertain and, you know, throw some back. But I think that this is what's going to last in our culture. This is what's going to be the uh, uh, the keepsake, the, the 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 time capsule of this era, you know, and and what people were going through and everything. So there needs to be a respect for that. I think that's such an important and and beautiful comment to make. In terms of next year, you've got your album in the works. Mm-hmm. What else is happening for Zola Jesus? Um, there's some 
things that I don't know if are happening or not, so I shouldn't say them, but um, mostly working on the album and um, and hopefully I want to get started on working on a different like long form piece, like an opera or something, um, something that doesn't have to relate to an album and that whole that whole machine because I feel like that's a little fatiguing after a while. Would you want to be part of that opera or just develop it and then give it to someone else to bring to life? Well, if Maria Callas was still alive, I would say give it to someone else, but (laughs) um, I would be interested to try it, but, you know, there's only a couple one-act operas and they're pretty pretty intense, so I'd have to have other people. Um, I think we have time for one last question. Does anyone... Want to round off the day, the night? I'm just interested in that comment you made about the question was, uh, was the visual important to the sound? And personally, I think we really clutter stuff up. And I'd be interested in your thoughts about, I think listening to music in the dark is really wonderful. Instead of being plugged into all that visual stuff that then, in a way, dictates how you react. Do you have thoughts about that? I totally agree with you, 100%. I think the music is best experienced in the dark or in headphones walking around a town or something where, but mostly in the dark. And that's, I've had some of my greatest musical listening experiences just in total silence, not in silence, but in the dark, um, in visual silence. And um, I think that's a priority, but to help control the potential that someone won't be listening to it that way. Um, I like to provide a visual to give people a picture of it. Um, It's almost like you're kind of helping them do the work in a little bit, you know. Uh, Not that I don't trust the people listening to it, but um, I don't think people give a lot of attention to music these days. It's usually, or not, not people. I think, you know, I think there's people that do and people that don't, but. What's been your favorite album of the year? That came out this year? Hmm. <laughs> the Terror. Yeah. Oh. It doesn't have to... Well, okay, what album has occupied the most space for you? The one that you kept going back to this year? That came out this year. Or... Okay, because I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been listening to... a like I was... I was telling you earlier, I've been listening to a lot of Eastern European music and um, there's a singer called, that, a Romanian singer, Maria Tanas, Tanas, she's almost like the Edith Piaf of, of Romania and I've been listening to that album a lot and um, that's something that I really liked. I also actually really like, I think this came out this year, there's a Ukrainian group called Onuka, O-N-U-K-A and it just, pop music, but it's really nice because um, they use U- like Ukrainian instruments and the girl that's, that writes the music is like a, a f- she's like a flute player, like a Ukrainian flute player uh, or pipe or whatever. Um, and that's been, I've been listening to that a lot. It's really beautiful. Has uh, your interest in that made you wonder and consider doing an album in another language and possibly collaborating with someone from one of those countries? Yeah, it would be very cool. It's just hard these days because I, I want to be respectful to the culture and respectful to, you know, 
people. I'm not like Peter Gabriel where I can just get like some Kodo players, you know, <laughs> like I'm a white guy. I can do whatever yeah, I want. Yeah. Um, so, and my, I love Peter Gabriel, so whatever. But, um, but yeah, I would, I would like to do that. Well, um, I think that brings us to the end of our session. Can we all please give a round of applause to Nika, a.k.a. Solar Jesus? Thank you.